Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. My guest is Dr. Warren Farrell. He's the author of The Boy Crisis and Father and Child Reunion. Dr. Farrell is a penetrating social commentator who has been interviewed by Oprah, Sean Hannity, Barbara Walters, Tucker Carlson and many more. And he'll be sharing with us his thoughts and views on the abortion debate now raging in America and what he thinks is missing here. But you, you just wonder why we're not hearing and reading more about it. It's 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 almost like the um the extreme abortion movement has taken total control of the narrative and even many sections of the media or the vast majority in the media they don't want to hear anything but pro-choice at any cost nine months and we've seen that in New York and all these other places. Well, I can document the accuracy of that in the sense that uh, when I was on the board of Now in New York City and speaking on women's issues, everything I wrote for the New York Times was published. Every single thing I wrote for the New York Times, as example, um, being published to the next 28 out of 29 pieces that I submitted, um, not being published. Once I started being empathetic to men and to boys, the left in particular has been so focused on women's rights that we've been completely blind to the importance of dads, the importance of families, to the fact that the boy crisis is, you know, the the mass shootings, we we say they're the result of guns, we say that the result of violence in the media, video games, we say that the result of uh, replacement theory style hatred. We'll get to my full interview with Dr. Warren Farrell in a wee moment. While I am not on the same side of every issue in this abortion debate as Dr. Farrell, We do, nevertheless, share common ground. What is refreshing is his analysis of the current debate and of the popular narrative on abortion in America in mainstream media, and he addresses something either forgotten, overlooked, or simply blanked out of the public consciousness, and that is the isolation in our society of some young men. You may ask, what has this got to do with abortion and the pro-life movement? Well, stay with us. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. Before I get to my interview with Dr. Warren Farrell, it's time for our weekly Future Shock 2.0 segment with workforce trends expert Ira Wolf. Ira Wolf, welcome back for Future Shock 2.0. Just a quick note here a lot of your research and studies refer specifically to the US and to the industrialized world. Listeners will figure it out, obviously. You may want to explain that. John, a lot of my work is in the US, Canada, uh, West English speaking countries, uh, developed countries. And most of the most of the, the countries, most of the clients that reach out to me and or follow me uh, are all experience a similar issue. You know, some of the reasons, maybe some of the jobs, uh, some of the industries that are affected may be slightly different. But the, the labor shortages uh, is a universal problem. Resignations is a universal problem. Uh, again, mostly for I would say the English speaking developed countries, you know, of the world and. Which, which makes up a significant part, uh, for sure. Workers are returning to the office part-time or full-time. I'm, I'm assuming uh, more part-time, at least here in America. How is that shaping up? It's pretty ugly. It's, it's really pretty bad. Uh, the just look at one is look at the great resignation. Uh, there's we had another record number of 4.5 million people quit their jobs, and we had six it's over 60 million people have, have left their jobs over the last year. One of the things that I like to suggest to people is that changing a job is really stressful. There was a study done years ago, it's, it's still held up there pretty well. Uh, it's called the Holmes and Ray scale. And you, many people may have seen that it was it lists all these factors in life that cause stress. And if you, you total them up and you reach a certain point, you're under stress or even reaching burnout. And changing a job is almost identical to grieving the loss of a good friend. So when you talk about the stress incurred by changing a job, think about that, that I'm willing to have the amount of stress that would be equal to losing a good friend to leave my job. That's the stress I will go under. 
And 4.5 million people a month are quitting their job, are changing their jobs. And yes, there may be more money, it may be a better environment, but it's unbelievable that people are willing to, one is, put themselves up to rejection. They're going to apply for the job. They may not get it. They may not be treated well. They may not even hear from the employers. They may be ghosted. Uh, and they may get rejected. You know, who wants to do that in these times? So it, it's not going well. I mean, going back to work, uh, the levels of stress are at record highs. The level of mental illness is record highs, record of burnout. Uh, you know, every study indicates that anywhere between 40 and 70%, and again, it depends on the groups and the industry and how the study was done, but, but it's consistent. The consistency is that 40 to 70% of all workers are saying they're more stressed out and have higher levels of burnout. And the burnout's not just at the front lines, it's, it, it's at the senior positions as well. Uh, there's a lot of going on now with HR because they're like the healthcare workers. Healthcare workers certainly were under a lot of stress during the pandemic. Now it's HR because HR is trying to figure this out. It's universal. It goes across industries, positions. It's going to be a continued struggle and companies better figure out how to start supporting their employees to try to understand it. And sometimes it's just having a conversation, but it, it's going to be challenging for the foreseeable future. Thank you, Ira Wolf. Ira is a workforce and labor trends expert, a TEDx speaker, and host of the popular podcast Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. I want to remind you to subscribe for free to the top rated. Odeon Capital Conversations podcast on all things money and markets with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein of Odeon Capital Group. Odeon Capital Conversations is hosted by yours truly. And if you want to know more about the inside workings of the US Federal Reserve, interest rates, banking, inflation, the economy and more, Odeon Capital Conversations is a must listen to podcast. My guest is Dr. Warren Farrell, author of The Buy Crisis and of The Father and Child Reunion. He's sharing his deepest thoughts in this interview on the present abortion debate in America. I recorded this episode just shortly before the repeal of Roe v. Wade by the U.S. Supreme Court. So what Dr. Farrell shares with us is both intriguing and well worth a listen. We talk about abortion, the bike crisis in America, and even gun control. Dr. Farrell has come up with something interesting too as we talk about abortion, and that is Dad's ABC Rights and Responsibilities. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Dr. Warren Farrell, welcome to Dig Life Deep. You know, I'm really looking forward to your thoughts on our topic coming up on this abortion debate, which is raging in America. You are described as the world's only pioneer in both the women's and the men's movement. Wow. Uh, You've authored The Boys' Crisis and also Father and Child Reunion. You were elected three times to the board of the National Organization for Women in New York City. And even GQ magazine called you the Martin Luther King of the men's movement. Quite a credit. So what what do you make of our latest debate happening right now on abortion? We have Roe v. Wade. I'm assuming you want to see the repeal of Roe v. Wade, although you can qualify that if, if you want. Tell us how you feel. What do you make of the debate that's going on? Yeah, I, I think it's a very sad and unnecessary debate, meaning that um, we're, we're debating, as people often do, from two ideological perspectives that are not hearing each other. And therefore, by not hearing each other, we're not seeing a win-win solution that is being completely left out. We're going from right to life on the one hand, to a woman's body, a woman's choice. And that overlooks a vital win-win solution, which is a dad's right to care for a future infant. And so what I outline in the, in the Boy Crisis book is uh, that the, the, what we really should be talking about 
is men's ABC rights and responsibilities or <coughs> dad's ABC rights and responsibilities as well. So we should basically be talking about three types of rights intention. And the bigger picture here before, before I go on on rights intention is that almost every law is about different people's rights intention with another person's rights intention. And so what, what, what we have missed completely in talking about right to life um, versus a woman's body, a woman's choice, is the fact that there really should be three sets of rights intention. One is the right of the fetus to live. The second is the right of a mother to have a choice. And the third, which we've completely left out, is the right of a dad to have a choice and to not just have a right to have what I call ABC rights and responsibilities. All rights should in their ideal form come with responsibilities as well. So the ABC stands for the abortion rights of the father as well as the mother, the birth rights of the, of the, the father, the fetus and the mother, and the caring rights of the father, the fetus and the mother. And so what I mean by that is an abortion, in the abortion level, the A, the A right of the ABC rights and responsibility is that that can be achieved by a dad's right to be informed immediately uh, that the mother is um, considering abortion. So the moment she's thinking about it, if we want fathers, where Father's Day is approaching, and we, if we want fathers to be involved in the process of raising children, we have to get them involved as equal opportunity partners. Equal opportunity partners means that the moment the mom finds out she's pregnant, uh, she and, and is considering abortion, she needs to notify the dad um, and the, and the, so that the dad can say, uh, if you wish to abort the child, um, instead of aborting the child, um, how about I sign a, a legal document saying that I will care for the child financially and emotionally from the time the child is born until at least the age of 18 or 21. Um, and, and so we have three sets of things going on here. The mother then takes eight, but mother and father both made a voluntary choice to have sex together. As a result of that choice and the creation of a fetus, uh, the mom makes the uh, agrees that she will take um, nine months of responsibility to bear the child. The dad agrees it'll take 18 years of responsibility to emotionally and financially raise the child. And even though children are much better raised with both mother and father, if the if the if the um, decision is um, to kill the the fetus um, versus keeping it alive and having it be loved and financially taken care of, that's a much better decision. So uh, that to to obtain the abortion rights, that father has to be notified immediately, so he can go through his doubts, his fears, his stuff like that. The same process a mother goes through uh, before she decides whether to abort the child or to keep the child, and he has time. Um, to be able to say, okay, I'm ready and willing to take responsibility for that, even if the mother never never gets involved financially or emotionally. Second is the birth right. That's the A, B, C right. That's the B right. Um, that's the dad's right to have a birth control pill, um, which is have, has been developed in a number of forms that are reasonably viable, but have not been marketed well by pharmaceutical, marketed at all by pharmaceutical companies. We've got to move into that. Uh, to have a birth control injection. Um, and there's now in development um, a non-hormonal uh, non uh, form of birth control as well. And so we have to start looking in and, and developing the male, the male birth control pill um, that, free, that frees women um, from being the only having her body have her or hormones manipulated. Men should be sharing that responsibility and sharing that right. And the right part of it means that he's free to take, he's, he's not only free to take the responsibility for an unwanted pregnancy, um, but he also um, is free from being a victim of paternity fraud, uh, which is fairly much more common than most people know, uh, where the mother might say she uh, uh, is on birth control and she is um, not on birth control or she has a, she becomes pregnant and notifies the father that's most capable of um, supporting the child financially to be involved uh, rather than the actual biological father. And the third is the caring right. Um, and that's the dad's right to be informed immediately that the mother is pregnant. 
uh, not whether whether or not she considers um, abortion, um, because uh, so that he can exercise his right right from the beginning as a as an equal partner um, to volunteer his um, uh, his his involvement uh, with the raising of the child, rather than the mother being able to not inform him and then just go out and raise the child by herself and only notify him later in the child's life if, if she gets into trouble or problems. Um, and also the right to um, inform the dad rather than to um, connect with, a, with a, an adoption agency and have an adoption agency adopt the child uh, without the dad even being informed. And so we're, we're saying here in celebration of Father's Day, you know, we, we always say, you know, oh, we care about fathers too. Oh, you know, as, as, a, as, a side, as a side note, after um, we care about moms, um, we need to care about fathers um, because the children, we now know that the mass shooters who scoot, uh, shoot up schools, schools, that every single one of the mass shooters in the 21st century that has had, um, that, that has killed 10 or more people, the mass school shooters, that is, in the 21st century that have killed 10 or more people, um, have all, all six of them, uh, every one of them has been dad deprived. Um, and when, you, when children do not have an involved father, um, they uh, often feel they don't get the boundary enforcement. They don't get the, uh, the discipline to carry out their dreams. Uh, they don't get the postponed gratification to a much greater degree uh, than when um, dads are involved. And so we, we need to know that, that children raised with an equal amount of father involvement do better in more than 70 different developmental areas from doing better in school to being less likely to commit suicide, be depressed, less likely to have their sperm count depleted, um, more likely to have their IQ increased, more likely to graduate from high school, more likely to be employed, more likely to be happy, not depressed, not, su so su not suicidal, and so on. And so we have missed this enormous possibility, this win-win solution of father involvement. No, it's it's fascinating, and you've covered a, a great ground. So just to be very clear, you are pro-life. I I am pro-life, however. Um, I am also I also eat meat, um, and I am pro, I am pro not killing animals. But I'm I I am I have compromised in my life. Um, I have supported a woman who did um, create a fetus with me, and she didn't want to raise it, and I didn't want to raise it. And even though I, would, I, I, I and I compromised, and I said, "All right, we both understand that this was a, a huge mistake." And so, um, you know, where does that put me? Am I a vegetarian? Am I? I'm not a vegetarian, and yet I don't believe in killing. Um, I was, uh, and so I, I am caught. Uh, as many, many people are between a rock and a hard place. Um, Pro-life is, yeah, but for me, I, a, a lot of times in my life, I search out for win-win solutions that don't force me to move down one uh, very tough path versus another. Pro-life as in pro-human life, the animals is another form of life, but you're not pro-abortion or woman's right to choose on, at any level? I I am caught between pro-life and and uh, and a woman's right not a woman's right mm. to choose that's what i'm objecting to is mm. a woman and man so you're caught on the woman's right to choose argument you want the, the dads to be involved in this it's i haven't heard it recently and i guess my question is why is this not part of the the, the bigger debate because we've been so focused in the last half century on women being oppressed and the the world being a patriarchy which oppresses women and women not having rights that we have um we've we've looked at the uh, the, the woman's right to choose as as if it was a right to, to kill um and a right to abort as opposed to saying and and we just blinded ourselves to wait a minute we we blame fathers when they're not involved we call them deadbeat dads mm -hmm. um, but the deadbeat dads, what is that really about? Uh, the child support agencies in the United States have focused completely on financial support. And when we say deadbeat dads, we usually mean the dad that that isn't 
part, uh, participating financially in the child's life. Um, but sometimes it's the, the dad that just disappears too. Um, and so we, we need to, every generation had its war. And during every war, we told men, um, you are needed to defend the country. You are, and men stepped up and men were willing to die so that women and children and the rest of the society could survive and not be under Nazi rule or whatever type of, uh, of rule. And, the, and so men, when they're told they're needed, we step up to the level of giving our life but we haven't been telling men they're really needed as fathers. And what we found and what I have found in the last uh, half century is that the research on ch children doing well, whether it's not being mass shooters, whether it's not committing suicide, whether it's not being depressed, whether it's doing well in school, whether it's being happy emotionally, uh, whether it's being uh, something that, that, they're, that they're proud of about themselves, all of those things are enormously enhanced by two things. One is a father and mother's approximately equal involvement. And number two is what I call checks and balance parenting, where the mother and the father communicate about the differences in their parenting styles, and they know how to respectfully hear each other's differences. So a mother says, you know, um, to the child, you know, you, you can't, um, no, sweetie, you can't climb the tree now. But you're, you're too young. You might fall and you might hurt yourself. And dad, if asked separately by the child, uh, says, oh, okay, you can climb the tree, but be careful. And then mom and dad, instead of going, wait a minute, I told the child the opposite. You could, you couldn't climb the tree, are able to negotiate and say, okay, um, the dad, first of all, knows enough to know that a child that climbs the tree is a child that increases his or her IQ. That is, when you climb a tree, you make decisions about what is safe, what is not safe. And in the process, your synapses fire and you, and you begin to develop an increased amount of intelligence. This is database stuff that I'm talking about that's yeah. all, all documented in the Boy Crisis book. Um, and so, but almost no father knows this about his parenting style. So, so I'm saying to dads, dad, you can't expect mom to hear what you don't say. So you have to learn about what is unique about your parenting style that contributes to a child's positive growth and development. And then B, you have to know how to communicate that effectively to the mom. So you don't make the mom wrong, but you say to the mom, I have something additional here that I'd like to have you and I work on to create a win-win solution so that the child can climb the tree but I will agree to stand underneath the tree in case the child falls. So I'll cushion the child from getting a spinal cord injury or concussion. Um, and I'll, yes, I'll give up my iPhone while, while I'm um, watching the child. And so I pay attention to the child. And then the mom and dad can give the child the best of both worlds, the ability to climb that tree, um, increase IQ, make decisions about what is safe, what are safe risks and what aren't safe risks. And at the same time, um, um, be, be safer. It's refreshing to me to hear you use the language uh, that we don't really hear a lot during the abortion debate. You talk about the fetus as a, a living entity, as it were, and the killing. It's a very emotional word, and I guess we have to be careful uh, sometimes how we use that. But you, you, you call it what it is. I mean, we're so used to hearing about the termination of pregnancy as if there's no child in the womb, and that's a sad state of affairs. Your three ABCs, um, I think the pro-life movement will listen to those arguments, uh, and certainly on A, certainly on C, on the birth control pill, that probably would make some people kind of queasy, including myself, I'm going to be fully upfront about it. But as regards the fathers being brought into all of this, it makes so much sense. Now, I'm going to say one thing, Dr. Farrell, that I've, I've noticed and I've heard and I've seen firsthand and I've been told if you go to an abortion clinic in any town or city in America, you will, if you stay around long enough, see men pulling up with the pregnant girlfriend or pregnant partner. So clearly, in that case, the father had no problems with that woman aborting their child. And in some cases, apparently, the men forced them into having the abortion because the men won't take responsibility. Absolutely. I mean, there's in almost everything and almost all decisions, men and women 
participate in them. You know, the men are men and women are very much close to as likely to participate in them. Um, you know, some men I, I don't know whether they force the mother or not, but you know they make it very clear, um, you know, that they don't want that abortion. They don't want any life with the woman. Sometimes the woman uh, was consciously or unconsciously willing to become pregnant because um, she she was hoping that that would inspire the man to be involved with her, whereas otherwise he might leave and you know be irresponsible, you know, go on somebody else. Uh, and other times, you know, it's the other way around. And so, but certainly, and, and many many men do appear at abortion clinics because they want to support them going through, you know, a, a, is what is often a trauma uh, for the woman uh, in terms of um, aborting the child or killing the, the fetus. And so, you know, and I and I stand, as I was very honest with you about, I stand caught between those two worlds. When there are debates like this, there are, there, there are, there's such like, you know, the, the, the gun will debate the same type of thing. Um, you know, you don't have to go all the way to one side or the other and say, we should be free to have every type of AR-15 rifle that we want in the hands of 16-year-olds. We care about the safety of our children and we care about our, our people. And so we, when we get caught in these dichotomies, we prevent ourselves from having reasonable solutions. And, you know, with, with automobiles, you know, um, we could say that they kill as many people as, as guns do um, per year. And so let's eliminate automobiles. Well, maybe make automobile safety a bigger priority and, um, and you know, and, and, Look at the fact that we, with automobiles, have reduced the amount of killings in automobiles 80% since automobiles were created, even though we have faster um, so on. So let's let's look at gun safety. Let's look at, in, in that type of debate, let's look at, in the uh, abortion debate, let's look at something we've completely missed and create some win-win solutions here um, of, getting, of getting fathers involved so fetuses do not have to be killed. Yeah, it's, but you just wonder why we're not hearing and reading more about it it's 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 almost like the um the extreme abortion movement has taken total control of the narrative and yes. even many sections of the media or the vast majority in the media they don't want to hear anything but pro-choice at any cost nine months and we've seen that in new york and all these other places well i can document the accuracy of that in the sense that uh, when I was in the board of now in New York City and speaking on women's issues, everything I wrote for the New York Times was published. Every single thing I wrote for the New York Times, as example, um, being published to the next 28 out of 29 pieces that I submitted, um, not being published. Once I started being empathetic to men and to boys, we have been so, the left in particular has been so focused on women's rights that we've been completely blind to the importance of dads, the importance of families, to the fact that the boy crisis is, you know, the mass shootings, we, we say they're the result of guns. We say that they're the result of violence in the media, video games. We say that they're the result of uh, replacement theory style hatred. But our daughters are, are involved with Everything just that I just mentioned, they're involved with, they're in the same homes with the same guns, with the same family values, with yep. the same violence and the same media. And our girls are not doing the mass shootings, but it's not all our boys that are doing the mass shootings, obviously. It is a tiny, tiny percentage of those boys. And those are the boys who are, who are doing the mass school shootings. Um, they are almost the major ones are very, uh, uh, all the ones 10 or above, as I mentioned before, the mass shoot school shootings, they're all dad deprived boys and the, the the mass shootings in general are about 80 percent dad deprived boys among the ones we've been able to find out but the feminist movement has been completely ignoring that and the media has been completely ignoring that and the, the left-wing media the only people that get that are conservatives who say yes we've been telling you all along that family is important we've been telling you all along that fathers are important um, and that's um, and so that's been the only responsive media um, to to that issue. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Dr. Warren Farrell, author of The Bi-Crisis and 
father and child reunion, sharing his deepest thoughts on the present abortion debate in America. Here we pick up on another side of the pro-life issue, the tragedy of the mass shootings we have been witnessing in America. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. The other popular narrative is um, mental health. You constantly hear that coming up in reports after mass shootings, mental health issues. And then they never really dig deep into that at the time of the shooting. Was the perpetrator psychotic? Had he been abusing drugs? Or they don't ask the same questions that you're asking about the family background. This, This is very important because just think about this. There's a mass shooting and somebody says, ah, must be a mental health issue. Like, duh, who would ever commit a mass shooting that didn't have a mental health issue? That is like, you know, so the question that is missed there is what can we do to address that, to discover the mental health issue before the boy ever even thinks about doing something like a mass shooting. And so one of the things I did with the, uh, I really care a great deal about this exact issue um, is I started investigating it when I was doing the 14 years of research for the boy crisis book. And I began to start seeing one thing after the other, that was a red flag of a boy that had mental health issues that would potentially consider either suicide or being significantly depressed. But if you just give that type of, so I created a, a 63 um, red flag inventory. And what I'm trying to do is to encourage school systems to give that inventory to every child. So if we just give the inventory to children that the guidance counselors um, select, that child will often feel defensive. But if every child is getting that inventory and is being asked questions that that would send up red flags, then nobody feels like they're being singled out as somebody that it could be dangerous. Um, and so, um, and, and it will allow both guidance counselors and parents and social workers to be able to work with giving these children the attention they need, the the male role modeling that they need, the um, uh, the, the or the female role modeling if the mother is, is missing, and and if it's a female that we're talking about. Um, but we we have what we've done in society is we've we have very good metrics for spotting female depression. But we don't know what male depression looks like. Women are much better at expressing their depression. Men, boys, almost automatically repress their depression. One of the things that's common for boys to ask is, do you feel um, that nobody loves you? Do you feel that nobody needs you? Needs you is very important. Boys who feel needed do not feel suicidal. They're rarely depressed. Does, um, does anyone love you? Does anyone need you? Is there any hope? If the answer to that is no and no, and the next question needs to be, is there, do you feel like there's any hope of that changing, that somebody will need you, will love you in the near future? Or if the answer is yes, do you feel that the people who do love you or need you, if you shared with them the things that are leading you to be depressed or suicidal, do you feel that they would lose respect for you? Because boys don't want to have respect lost. Neither do girls, but boys have a huge amount of fear of having respect being lost uh, for, for them. And so they oftentimes repress their feelings rather than express their feelings. And, and, um, and in the process of repressing their feelings, they don't feel seen, they don't feel heard, and they begin to build up anger. And what very few people realize, and this is crucial, I teach couples communication courses. And one of the things that is most helpful in those couples communication courses is couples understanding that when your partner gets angry, almost always anger is vulnerabilities mask. And all of these boys are angry. Mm. And so if instead of responding to their anger with our anger, if we respond to their anger with our empathy at their vulnerability, we will begin to give boys a space to be able to be open and reveal their vulnerability 
and to feel seen. We have to be somewhat careful here in that uh, I don't know the circumstances of all the mass shootings in America. You're the expert on this, but I'm sure there might be outliers that there could have been wonderful parents. I mean, some of the par parents have been interviewed after the fact and they've expressed shock and horror and, and huge disappointment and they're baffled why their son would do that. So kind of makes you wonder maybe they did love the kid in that house oh absolutely the child being loved i mean first of all um the while well, the mass school shooters that killed 10 or more are all dad deprived um many of the mass shooters that have killed fewer than that are not and many of the mass shooters that have killed um, um outlets other than um than than um other than schools are not dad deprived. So you know, th there's a mixture in there. Yeah. And dad deprivation from everything I'm able to tell is a single, you know, when I when I wrote the Boy Crisis book, I basically ended up saying, I uh, my original um, proposal to the publisher was 10 causes of the Boy Crisis. But as I started researching it more and more, I realized that the most important cause uh, was the dad deprivation. And I, so I ended up, ended up saying that the boy crisis resides where dads do not reside. However, that's only the most important signal sign, signifier of it. It is not, um, it is not, it is not the only cause uh, to say it's the only cause would be very simplistic, but there's so many things that we can do uh, to prevent the boy crisis that we're not even investigating. Uh, fortunately, Florida um, is the first state that has actually passed a law uh, saying that we need to um, uh, that, that, uh, call the fatherhood crisis law that was just signed into law by Governor DeSantis. And I'm very happy to say that every, well, very happy to say two things. One is that Every Republican and every Democrat in the House of Representatives um, voted for that law to get fathers more involved. Great. Number two, the Chris Sprouls, the Speaker of the House in Florida, who introduced that to the Democrats and Republicans, um, had read the Boy Crisis book. He had three sons. Um, he was um, found it helpful enough to be able to give it to both the Democratic and Republican leaders in the in the House. And that led to their drawing up legislation that is much more focused on the importance of father involvement. And Kentucky has been the first state in the United States to say um, there needs to be at the moment of divorce, instead of saying mothers have the right to children and dads have to fight for children, uh, they've said that both mothers and fathers should have an equal amount of um, time with the children after divorce unless one parent is, you know, um, is pointed out to be um, aggre aggressively abusive. Um, and then obviously, then you don't, then, you know, and if that parent cannot be, um, not be worked with to be a very functional and positive parent, uh, then that's a different story. Um, and this is another issue and a separate issue on some levels, but I'd like your take on sensible or more aggressive gun control would that help solve these mass shooting issues it's the, the country is very divided over that yes the country is divided again completely missing um the the three main causes of um of mass shootings uh, the number one cause is that it happens with boys not girls the number two cause is it's mostly dad deprived boys that's an enormous um, when dads are involved and it's not just dad involvement, it's also dad style involvement of boundary enforcement and discipline and, and get, get, um, having the child capable of creating a sense of purpose and getting a, pos a positive sense of attention rather than feeling that the child is a loser. Um, and then that child going out and trying to date um, girls and women um, when he's 13, 14, 15, 16, and finding that girls date winners, they don't date losers, then he feels rejected by girls. And that creates a big set of, a set of problems. So those are the two things that would be the most positive to 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 reduce mass shootings. However, um, in the, because we're not paying attention to the boy crisis and, and dad involvement, we need to not think about gun control, but rather gun safety. And we just we, like you said about cars, given that historical example. Exactly. And and uh, recognizing that the en enormous amount of progress we've made, we have um, we have about 25 pages of descriptions um, in federal documents about what we should do for the safety of a ladder um, where only 100 people are killed on ladders each year. But we we 
put all that effort into ladder, ladder safety. And you know, the AR-15 rifles, that was never, when the Second Amendment was created, there was nobody that said, someday there will be AR-15 rifles. And, yeah. there was, you know, and there was no image of the federal government uh, when the Second Amendment was created, uh, being able to, uh, to ruin you if they wanted to by putting you in jail for tax evasion of some sort or the other, or having a drone outside of your house at three in the morning and killing you. Uh, there's thousands of things the government can do to, 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 to ruin your life if the government wants to do that. Um, uh, having a, um, a rifle or a gun in the house is responsible for 45,000 deaths by homicide, suicide, um, and accidental deaths each year. That's more than all the people each year who die from breast cancer. And so we need to have a, a, a non-polarized discussion about how can we allow people the freedom to have guns, but under what circumstances can we, if we, if we care about right to life, we have to care about right to the life of the people who are the victims of mass shootings, are the victims of drive-by uh, drive shootings as well as the other. And at the same time, we have to um, allow for guns in the hands of responsible people um, uh, and you know who are living on a ranch, let's say, and want to have a gun to kill a rattlesnake. Absolutely. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, sure, that's, that makes perfect sense. Um, these mass shootings, uh, I'm trying to understand, and maybe you can help us understand what goes through the mind of the shooter um, in the moments leading up to it. Why do they decide on a mass shooting? What are they trying to achieve? And um, none of it, it's not rational, it, it, it's, it's demonic. Well, it's rational, it's irrational, and it's demonic. But so let me, I'll give you an example. Um, I got a, um, an email about uh, nine months ago um, from somebody who said, um, I was raised by my mom and only, and then um, my mom was upset with me and passed me on to grandmother. Um, my grandmother had no men, uh, 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 never had a father, uh, a grandfather um, that never was married to a man um, and, for any, and didn't like men. And my mother didn't speak well of my ex my mom, my dad. So I felt I, I had no discipline. I had no purpose. I was completely caught up in video games. I didn't even see myself as a person. Um, I saw myself as something, uh, a person in one of those video games. I saw myself in that world rather than the real world. I began to feel really um, fearful of entering out into, um, into the real world because I didn't have any nuance um, about how to deal with people on an emotional level. And so he said, um, I then ended up joining 8chan, uh, which, is a, a, which is a fascist group. And I asked, um, I, and he wrote me that 8chan gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me, uh, the fascist group gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense of structure, structure and purpose that I didn't have at home. Um, and so I wrote up a 52-page manifesto outlining my mass shootings in 8chan. In 8chan, there were two other people we, whose names we know. Um, who had been mass shooters, inspired by the sense of purpose and the sense of structure and feeling that fascism was a strong sense of purpose and a strong structure, a father figure he didn't have. Um, he felt he was going to contribute positively to the world and also get the attention of being sort of like this fascist hero. He said, um, fortunately, I picked up a copy of The Boy Crisis and I read through it. Now, he didn't say the data that I provided was helpful to him. He said, when you wrote The Boy Crisis, it so described the crisis of me that I felt for the first time in my life that I was seen, that I'd been heard. I sometimes laughed at myself thinking that you were a spy in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, I was sane enough to know that wasn't true. And I just want to thank you for saving. And so I dropped my plans to do this mass shooting. And I went to a couple of psychologists and a psychiatrist to give me a combination of medications and psychological help. Um, and I just want to say thank you. If it wasn't for the Boy Crisis book, um, I, there, I would be dead um, because every mass shooting is basically also a, a suicide. 
and um, and also many countless others would be dead because I think I planned this well that I would have killed countless others. And so what was important to me here that answers your question is that it wasn't the data that convinced him, it was feeling seen. It was seeing his vulnerabilities, that behind his anger was vulnerabilities and that anger was vulnerabilities mask. And when he was seen, he no longer needed to prove himself and get attention in other ways. And that to me, if we can start from that assumption, the need for every boy to feel seen. And one of the things I hope that I do well in the Boy Crisis book is, is to talk about the family dinner nights as being important that way, but also recognizing that family dinner nights often become family dinner nightmares. But yeah. they, they become family dinner nightmares when the children are interrupted rather than seen. And when the parents pay such positive attention to the children that they don't require the children to be empathizing with and able to hear the parents. Uh, positive child raising does not just require being empathetic to the child, but it requires requiring the child to know how to be empathetic to his or her brothers and sisters and to her father and mother, not interrupting the father and mother or the brother and sister, letting the father and mother and the brother and sister know exactly what they they feel they've heard until the father, mother, brother, and sister feel, say, that's an exact version of what I mean. That was not distorted. You didn't miss anything. Um, and that's what creates a family dinner, dinner night um, that is um, a positive experience for the growth of children. Yeah, well, we're all social animals. And you brought up something there that occurred to me that with all this um, mobile technology and the internet and working, the working from home trend, um, video games and all and the like. And we during COVID, we had a lot of people essentially imprisoned in a way at home, even young people. And, you know, they may say, well, I was interacting with my friends on Facebook, but I'm not so sure if that was the reality because we've learned since then that there was a huge mental health crisis during COVID. I'm just wondering your thoughts on that and the idea of uh, this trend to work from home and what's the right balance? Yes, there is no computer or no and no computer simulation that can simulate all the enormous nuances of uh, interaction with a human being. If you're interacting with a human being and they and you're saying something that's offending them, uh, there are, if you're in human contact with them, uh, um, you're able to, to discern just a slight, the very slightest withdrawal, to the dilation of their eyes. There, there, there's hundreds of different movements that no computer can simulate at this point in our, in our time, probably never will be able to. And so the, the actual involvement of children with other children um, without uh, electronic devices giving much more dichotomous type of involvement. You text somebody, they say, do you like this? Do you like that? And you say yes or no, but you're not getting all the rest of that nuance um, involved with that. That makes children increasingly less emotionally intelligent um, for the nuance of interacting with other people, which makes them more and more fearful that way. It makes them less and less able to empathize, less and less able to intervene and say something, I sense that something is bothering you um, and being, being able to be there for them, knowing what types of um, teasing is effective, what type of teasing is um, not effective and just too much. Um, so all those things were missing from, from COVID and, um, and the increased uh, focus on electronics rather than each other. Back quickly to the abortion debate, Roe v. Wade. Any thoughts on that? Would it be good for America if Roe v. Wade was repealed? Well, one of the things about Roe v. Wade being repealed is that it's not going to really be repealed, meaning that the um, meaning uh, by which I mean 
that if it's repealed in a federal level, there still will be states able to make decisions about what they feel they need to do. And so um, if a person, and, and we have airplanes today, if somebody finds out that she or he is, that she is pregnant or that the couple has just created a child, uh, that couple can fly to another state where, they, where what they need or wish to do um, can be exercised. So we're not, it's not like, again, we're arguing this argument as if we're completely eliminating the option of, uh, of abortion or we're completely permitting it. Uh, we, we're, we're having a more diverse approach to that. You no, know, it's, it's good to hear your take on it because if you look at New York State and even New Jersey, um, they've essentially codified abortion into law to sort of do a run around Roe v. Wade. So these states would probably become abortion sanctuary states for those who are living in states where abortion is banned. By the way, I'm pro-life anyway. I, 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 it's a horrible alternative for somebody to seek out, let's put it that way. But maybe the bigger answer is that we have to create a, a culture of life where we're there for moms in crisis and we're there to, you know, through the nine months and and afterwards it's easy to say oh end abortion that is a great thing but they have a life beyond that with that newborn if they hopefully choose to keep that that baby yeah well i mean i as i said before i'm very um personally very much caught between those two worlds i really mm. uh, and and one of the things i feel like as with gun safety let's solve what we can solve and what we can solve is getting fathers involved right from the moment of uh, of birth, and we if we have a father that is really um, that believes very much that the, that that child should be born, and he, and he's needed to um, um, to and he's called upon and told he's needed. If men will die in war when they're told they're they're needed, many 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 fathers will, um, if, if they're said that they will be able to uh, emotionally raise that child and financially raise that child. And if the mother wants to get involved, that's fine. But if the mother doesn't want to get involved, uh, that, that maybe is her choice. Um, and so there's a solution where we don't have to sort of polarize one way or the other. And if the more dads get involved and are permitted or encouraged to get involved, we could save more babies' lives. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately is a great thing. Yes, absolutely. Dr. Warren Farrell, it's been fascinating. Thank you for your time. And I hope we'll catch up again very soon. I look real forward to that. You're a great, um, you, you ask, ask very good questions. You're not afraid. And you provide a lot of space for an answer that has some depth. And I really love that combination. Thank you. You're very kind. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.